a dear friend of mine had been watching me fall apart. And she said, Barbara, I'm going to a gathering this weekend and I, I want you to come with me. I think it will reconnect you to your spirit and I'll pay for it. And what struck me as soon as I walked into that room, because this is just a conference center. This is not, you have to make it a sacred space if you want it to be a sacred space. Julie, it, it felt like people had been praying in that room for thousands of years, just like when you walk into a, a cathedral and you feel that energy of the divine and humanity connecting. I mean, I grew up in Houston. And I remember asking myself, because it felt very kind of weird, what is a wasp from Texas doing studying Peruvian shamanism? This is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel, and I'm Julie Clare. As a transformational life coach and creativity guide, my life's work is helping people reshape their lives from the inside out. Here, I have deep dive conversations with luminaries who share about their own transformational journeys and how they became soul-sourced and creatively juiced. May their stories uplift and embolden all of us. Let's jump in. My guest today is Barbara Snow. Barbara was born in Texas and has lived a very adventurous life. She is a friend of a friend, actually, and when I first met Barbara, I, I thought I must, I have to have her on the show. Definitely. Uh, she's lived in the suburbs on a tiny houseboat, on a 23-foot travel trailer, in old Victorians, on a gorgeous ranch, and a modern apartment. She now lives in Vilcabamba, Ecuador, on her own with her dogs, and is a writer of what her friends call science faction, crafting stories, a process that enlighten and entertain. She has published around 20 books. I'm captivated by how Barbara has transformed over the decades. Her one of her biggest, well, her biggest transformation came in her 50s when her bridegroom of six weeks had a stroke and she took care of him until he died. Coming through the dark night here, Barbara was introduced to shamanism through a Peruvian shaman named Oscar Mida Casada, and she credits a spiritual path as saving her life. I find that her unique way of following her guidance, giving herself so much room and permission to be wildly creative, truly living outside of any formula that I know of, she's continued to reinvent herself and find new ways of being really fully creatively expressed. So this is where we're going. Welcome in, Barbara. I'm so happy to be here, Julie. Thank you. Absolutely. You're welcome. Uh, I, I want to jump in. Tell us where you are right now, your situation, the room and the house, because you're in Ecuador. So just give us a little picture if it's sunny or what's going on out the window. It was it was beautifully sunny this morning. The clouds are now beginning to roll in, as they often do at this time of year in the afternoon. I'm sitting in my spirit room in my apartment, which is on the edge of town. So I have these glorious huge, my, my living room wall is all one big window that looks out onto the valley. So it's forests and mountains and blue skies. And in my spirit room is where I have my altar, which in this tradition is called a mesa, the Spanish word for table. And a whole collection of objects that uh, I have been gifted or brought home from pilgrimages, um, but they all have meaning. They all have an inherent gift for me on the spiritual and energetic level. And that's why I wanted to sit here while you and I are talking. Beautiful. I can picture it. <laughs> I can. Uh, and I, I wanted to start with, um, I mean, you're in Ecuador now, and I know yes. that you've, uh, you're born in Texas and you've, uh, you've lived in, in different states and different situations. Um, in terms of transformation, core shifts of energy, and just giving a sense of, you know, ultimately how you end up here, what's happening for you in Ecuador, I'd love to start um, with talking about when you were in your 50s and you got married and your bridegroom mm -hmm. of six weeks had a stroke and what, what that meant for you or what, who you were after that and who you were before <clears throat> that. Let's just kind of jump right into that. I'm um, happy beginning. to jump into that even yeah. though, <clears throat> well... I guess I can say I'm happy to jump into it because it was the catalyst for me to become who I am. But 
I think it's probably the most pain I've ever been in in my life. Sean and I <clears throat> got married on the 4th of July because he said that way we would always have fireworks on our anniversary. And um, <clears throat> he went into the hospital for a simple hernia repair. And that night, um, everything seemed to be looking fine. The next morning, I went into the kitchen to make coffee and I heard a thump and I went out and he was kneeling on the floor. Um, he had fallen out of bed because when he tried to stand up, his left side didn't work. The, <clears throat> the pictures they took of his brain showed that half of it was dark mm. and he was left-handed. So left was his dominant side. And he was also, Sean had been an attorney, and so his ability to speak articulately was a huge gift in his life that had been stolen from him. After that, he said that his brain held his words hostage. So that was the beginning of it. I basically fell apart, except to, you know, get him to the hospital, take care of him, try to figure out how to get through the very next day. And as things begin to stabilize, I, Julie, I was so mad at God. Mm. As I had found this man, we were so in love, he was so good to me, we had such dreams. Um, and I felt like I had asked at every step of the way, is that, you know, is this right? Is this what I should be doing? Da, 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 da. You know, so if you, if you do what your guidance says, you're supposed to be happy ever after, right? And this was not my happy ever after. Um, <clears throat> because instead of having two incomes, now we had one income. Instead of having two people doing all the chores, now there were twice as many chores, and I had to do them all by myself. Caregiving, especially in a situation like that, is a huge responsibility and a huge drain. And it doesn't leave you a great deal of time to even think and process. Now, before Sean and I married, I had just completed my degree in creative writing. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, right. So... Writing was my go-to, so I had I journaled constantly, which was the foundation for my first book, the memoir. Um, <clears throat> but, and, I'll, I'll say and, because we lived in Oakland, we lived about um, three blocks from Lake Merritt, which is this beautiful lake right in the middle of town. It's about a three-and-a-half-mile walk around, has a wildlife sanctuary. So that kind of saved me too, but I was still so angry. And I didn't know where to turn, you know, because when you're mad at somebody, there's this push-pull. So I needed my spiritual connection more at that point in my life than I ever had. And it didn't feel real. I didn't feel like I could trust it anymore because this was so devastating. So <clears throat> about a year later, a dear friend of mine had been watching me fall apart. And she said, Barbara, I'm going to a gathering this weekend, and I, I want you to come with me. I think it will reconnect you to your spirit, and I'll pay for it. Now that's a friend, Julie. That is a true friend. Um, no, you know, I think that's partly why I went, I jumped in so deep so quickly, Barbara, but the story of falling apart and what came in, and this is your friend's invitation and even saying, I'll pay for it, right? So really making it open to you. I just thought it was such a beautiful, surprising entry into this path you're, you've been living. So, so, exactly. keep, so keep going. Thank you for going there. Yeah. It, it was pure grace. It was pure grace. So we, we drove down to Santa Barbara. And um, I walked into this room, and in this tradition, everyone has their mesa 
in front of them. And in a gathering like this, there's a central mesa that is like a, a community altar, a collective altar that represents the intention of that particular gathering. And everyone has their mesa in front of them, sitting in a circle. And what struck me as soon as I walked into that room, because this is just a conference center. This is not, you have to make it a sacred space if you want it to be a sacred space. Julie, it it felt like people had been praying in that room for thousands of years, just like when you walk into a, a cathedral and you feel that energy of the divine and humanity connecting. Well, that got my attention right away because I was very familiar with that energy of the divine. I mean, I'd always been mystical. I, I grew up as a, a Presbyterian. My grandfather was a minister. And I loved, I actually, I'm not going to say that past tense, I adore Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. And I adore Pachamama, and I adore all the multidimensional things that I have learned about in the last 20 years. So my first experience um, was sitting in this circle with Oscar, and the man to my left, and of course the left is your receptive side, was a psychiatrist who had been on the shamanic path for seven years. So he started working with me, clearing my energy field and things like that. And um, <clears throat> at one point, Oscar looked over at my mesa and he said, John, please light Barbara's candle. And so John leaned out because that's the candle is the east. We have objects for each of the directions, right. but candle is very important. And he leaned over and he looked at it and he says, it's lit, Oscar. It's just very faint. So Oscar says, Barbara, bring your candle over and put it on my mesa and take my candle back to yours. Now, Julie, I don't know how I knew this, but I knew that that candle represented my life force. Hmm. I was alive, but my life force was so weak. So I put my candle on Oscar's mesa and it sputters, you know, and then it shoots up this big flame. And I take his candle and I put it back on my mesa and it just burns really steady. And I feel stronger inside. You're really walking us through a, a ceremony. I didn't know mm -hmm. really an initiation is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. So you jump, we jump right in. Wow. So this is where you are. <laughs> what, where did you, yes. And from there, where did you, where did you, what did you come through with all of this? What, where did you? Well, <clears throat> I watched that weekend and there was some dissension in that circle because a number of the people attending wanted this particular woman to be elevated to Oscar's position. And they <clears throat> kept trying to undermine him and complaining. And I watched him carefully because, you know, this is going to be a test for somebody who's a teacher. He never got upset. He kept saying, can you give me specifics so I know what you're talking about? So I can address this. So I can create harmony. They couldn't because there wasn't anything. It was all emotion, which told me something about Oscar, too. So <clears throat> I was totally intrigued and so hungry by the time I went home. Now, Oscar did these gatherings once every quarter, every three months. And Ellen took me to a second one, which was in a different location, and it had different people. But it was even more powerful. And by then, my mesa had begun to grow and develop the elements of it. Oscar and I had begun a bit of a teacher-student relationship. And he gave me some assignments as we were sitting in circle. For example, somebody would bring... This is actually what happened. Somebody brought in an object that had belonged to her sister who had committed suicide. And Oscar said it needed to be cleared. And he gave it 
to me to clear. And I'm going, uh, but then he had a Puma paw and he gave me the Puma paw to use and it worked. I put this object in a certain spot and I put the Puma paw on top of it and it took a little bit of time but we did clear it. <clears throat> with the help of the circle and Oscar's guidance and everything, I was able to clear the negative energy out of that object. So by then, I knew I needed to be studying this. This needed to be a part of my life. Now, it was extremely foreign. I mean, I grew up in Houston. And I remember asking myself, because it felt very kind of weird, what is a wasp from Texas doing studying Peruvian shamanism? Right? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, and there's, it's there's a huge a, leap. It's a leap. And there's, you know, there's opinions about that. There's, uh, uh-huh. yeah, there's cultural, you know, that's not there's okay. Yeah, all kinds of, yeah, all kinds of but for you, I hear, I hear the organic quality of the arrival in a time of real need. I love yes. that. Well, I love the such a difficult image, but the you know the small small flame and in your situation. So here you are, and it was very foreign. <clears throat> so what's a wasp from Texas doing with this Peruvian shamanism? So, so that's did it. So it didn't immediately become your identity, but there was some. It sounds like, but it sounds like there was a a call to life, or there there is something mm-hmm. that there's a big yes. It sounds like, and you're still taking care of your husband. And you're still living in Oakland at some point here, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. I took care of him until he died. Um, and it began to feel more natural and more organic. For one thing, shamanism does not say any other tradition is wrong or bad. It just celebrates any human desire to connect with spirit and with their own spirit. So, but I had already left organized religion. Mm-hmm. Um, the the foundation that I grew up with was and is precious to me, but I'm kind of over hierarchies and groups and politics and you know what the things that happen when people get into groups. <clears throat> so, and this tradition gave me tools to work with on my own. Because Oscar wasn't there. Oscar lived in West Palm, and still does, lived in West Palm Beach. Mm -hmm. And so he would go all over the country doing these gatherings and teaching people um, everything that his mentors had taught him. And you can feel when something is working. You You can feel when you're connected to the divine. I mean, it doesn't mean that when you don't feel it, you're not, because that's that's wrong. You're always connected. If you're alive, you're connected with source. Um, But I loved making the offerings to the unseen world. I loved feeling the divinity in nature, especially when I would go to the lake to, you know, try to calm myself or get energy or just peace. Mm -hmm. And... It works for me, it, and I've watched it work for other people. I've watched people in circle with me because we've become close. We've become family over the years, and I've watched their lives transform. And so I'm really passionate about it. I'm passionate about each person finding what it is that brings them alive and keeps them connected to their own souls and to their own source, however they define that. And creativity is a big part of that, whether you're a painter or a writer or a singer or a dancer, whether you're a cook or a gardener or a seamstress, doesn't matter. As long as there is some way in which your essence is released into the world. And you're, you know, I hear you'd had a spiritual upbringing and background. Um, this, this happened with um, your husband with the stroke and taking care of, and then you found this call, your own call to life. And, mm-hmm. and then, and how important that remains to the stay that focus on what brings us alive. And then now you're bringing in creativity. And I, it sounds partly very creative, these rituals, because you're, mm-hmm. 
you know, there may be a structure, but you're, it's all happening in the moment and you're being led. And, you know, I'm assuming there's lots of, you know, it's a moment, a moment by moment thing. There's nothing canned yes. about it. I'm thinking, so there's <clears throat> a, a creation happening, energy moving, uh, things happening. Um, Absolutely. And, and when you bring in creativity, did you have at that point, um, how long did your husband live after the stroke? He had the stroke in 98 and he died in 2002. Yeah. So that's uh, like four years or mm -hmm. some, something in there. And um, was, were you writing with shamanism, your primary path of creativity at that point? <clears throat> I didn't think of it in those terms. Yeah. Writing was my pr primary path of creativity. And um, I wrote constantly. Yeah. Still pretty much do. <laughs> Yeah. So you didn't think of shamanism being the creative path. It was always, you were already writing in your journal. You were always writing so yeah. that you knew yourself in some ways with writing as you exactly. create. Okay. That makes sense to me. And so that, how much of a role did writing play for you during those, those, those years? I think it probably saved me almost as much as, as the shamanic path did. Hmm. Because when you, when you write something down, when you, and I find this especially true when you're using pen and paper. It's a different energy when you're using a computer. Um, but nevertheless, when you put your perceptions and your feelings into words and write them down, you're pinning them to the page. So they're no longer swirling in your consciousness. And that swirl... And your consciousness is what creates confusion. It's what hurts. It, it weakens us because we can't focus as well when we can't think clearly. So writing is, could also be considered psychic house cleaning. And so you were doing that. So you've been writing. So this has been a long journey with, with, with the writing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the shamanic practice. And so when did you start writing your novels? Where I said, memoir, I believe, was your first book. Um, my memoir was my first book. <clears throat> no, actually, poetry was first. Poetry, okay. Poetry came first, and then the memoir. And, you know, sometimes when you're supposed to do something and you don't for whatever reason, maybe you don't feel up to it or you're not good enough, all these doubts creep in, the universe will trick you. <laughs> That's what it did with me. <laughs> I had moved to Cuenca. I moved there in 2014. It's a beautiful city here in Ecuador. It's considered the cultural capital. And they have a very, they, for several years, they had a writer's conference. The first one was the first year I landed in Cuenca, and it happened to be on my birthday. So, you know, talk about signs and wonders. Yeah, can, <clears throat> can I back you up one track? Did getting to Cuenca, did this, how much to do with your path of shamanism did this have? Well, by that time, because this was 2012, 2013, 2014, yeah. I had been on this path so long. It's part of me now. Right. It is inseparable from me. It's in my cells right. and every molecule of my consciousness. And when I heard the call, <laughs> I was living on a ranch above Denver that was the most beautiful place that I'd ever lived. I loved that place so much. And that, too, is a part of me. Um, anytime you have that strong of an emotional bond, it is kind of engraved in your being. But the man that owned the, the ranch had died and it was split up amongst the heirs and, and parcels were being sold, which, which was more confirmation of the guidance than anything else. Here, well, I'll tell you another story that demonstrates exactly how this came about. Oh my gosh, I want um, to hear your guidance. And I know I've taken us out of, out of Cuenca, but I have to say, right. be before it's all tied together. Okay, it is all tied together. When, when we, before you get to call it, who were you leaving? Who were you? This who core shift. Well, no, this core shift and this change of having gone through this and this loss with your husband, with the, his physicality and take care of him, and then coming out of that, mm -hmm. still writing and with the shamanism, 
what was, mm-hmm. do you know what some of the biggest shift for you there? Cause I, it sounds like your, your faith, your spirituality was definitely questioned. How can it not be? How can, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, but then you're put back on this path in, a, in another way, right? It seems very bright. Um, what was this, what was that essence of that transformation? Would you say? I think here? I learned to trust my inner knowing. Okay. I, yeah. Uh, I learned to follow the energies which makes it much easier to trust your intuition. And it's like baby steps. You do it once and it works. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, let's try this again. And each time you do it and each time it works, you stop even worrying about it. You get a message and it's like, oh, okay. So you, you, were, you were really brought to a place of trusting guidance and intuition through this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because <clears throat> the work, the work, that I learned from Oscar, the path, the tools, because any spiritual tradition is primarily tools for your own consciousness, um, and the community, and all the people that I knew loved and cared about me had gotten me through this to a place of strength again. Because Sean died in 2002, and then in 2007, I moved from the Bay Area of Northern California to Colorado, where I ended up on the ranch. And I lived there for four years. And there was a very strong shamanic community in that area. So I had really wonderful support also for my process. And I began doing workshops, healing ceremonies and teachings. Um, There was a shaman store in Berkeley where I used mm-hmm. to do workshops, and then when I moved up to the mountains, um, there was a place in Evergreen called Collage that uh, I held workshops and ceremonies. But most profoundly for me, there was a place on the hill behind where my house that was a natural ceremonial space. It was a, a clearing in a forest, pine forest, with big rocks around it. So places for people to sit, a perfect natural circle. Right. We, we built um, an apicheta, which is a stone cairn that acts very much like a, a mesa or an altar. And I, I had uh, gatherings there every month for years. So part of this change, ours is you actually changed your work in the world, shifted. I mean, you mm-hmm. became, you were leading ceremonies and sharing this process with other people Yep. And definitely and writing the whole time and writing the whole time. So that, cause that just that shift and, and how creative expression then partnered with that. And there you are leading these ceremonies in this beautiful location um, in Colorado. Okay. And, so that helped me catch that up. Time, yeah. I was also um, a very active member of the poetry society of Colorado, mm-hmm. which really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very precious to me. I, I felt like, when I got the message to, to, to move, I felt like I was being picked up at the peak of my game up to that point. So I, I was leaving at the top mm-hmm. because I felt like I had such a good life. But it was so clear. <clears throat> and <laughs> this is how it, <clears throat> it actually came down. Because I, I had been become aware of Cuenca through International Living, which is the big organization that... Um, does research and then promotes different places for retirees and that sort of thing. So I'd been watching them for a long time, and and I specifically heard, yes, you need to move to Cuenca. And when you, I'm going to interrupt you, when you hear something, because a lot of people that I work with a partner that's, how do we follow guidance? How does it come in? How do we trust that? At that point, how did that come in? Is it, is it like a voice? Is it um, in a dream? How is Most it this guidance? Most of the time for me, it's an inner knowing. I'm mm-hmm. not very clairvoyant. I don't see things a yeah. lot, but I'm clairsentient. Yeah. So it was I like, just, it's a knowing, like somewhere it, there's it's something. It's a very deep, intense knowing. Yeah. And when I align with that, the energy feels very high and um, comfortable. And when I try to dodge it, <laughs> the energy goes all. <laughs> yeah. 
if you know what I mean. I do. <clears throat> so, so really, I, uh, really staying close to energy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm interrupting you, but I'm really, cause I'm thinking, you know, when you woke up through the, or where you were brought back to life in a way in your writing and also the shamanism, when you're in that difficult period, um, there is a, a real awareness of your, your energy, right. And the candle flame and yes. what helped brighten it, what helped strengthen it, what was weakening and, and you found ways to strengthen it and how to find yep. to gather again. And then, okay, great. And so this, a real, a strong <clears throat> sense of energy awareness, I'm thinking that might've been mm -hmm. always true for you that you have some kind of ability to sense energy, but there you are. And so your guidance is a real inner knowing and it has to do with also, you know, that when you, you you go you meet that inner guidance your energy feels very comfortable feels very very strong so that's a great i think that's very helpful people because everybody has this own way of receiving mm -hmm. guidance and intuition so i love hearing yours yeah thank you and i think that's the most important thing any one of us can learn to do julie is to know how to read the signals that come to us because each of us is individual each of us is unique and it's an honoring of ourself inside rather than taking all of our cues externally. So I like it. Yeah. If, if you'll remember, the Mayan calendar ended on December 21st of 2012, and there was a great deal of hoopla about it. And uh, that was a beautiful night. I was at the Mayan Masquerade Ball in Boulder, Colorado, dancing and placing gifts on altars with my friends. <clears throat> and I was really excited because I had called a ceremony for the next day to celebrate the new world. Because if the old world is ended, or the old calendar, then the new is being born, right? <clears throat> so we're getting ready. And I'm talking with a friend about, coincidentally, we were talking about Ecuador. And this woman walks in and she perks up when she hears our conversation. And she says, Ecuador, I know some really nice people who have a house in Ecuador. So Iris, this was Iris Barrett. Iris and Mike Barrett lived 10 minutes away from me in Colorado. And they had a house about a 30-minute drive outside of Cuenca. So they, we quickly became friends, you know, you can just imagine. Yep. They invited me to come visit because they would spend the winters down there and then come back to the States for um, spring, summer, and fall. So I went for two weeks in 2013, had a wonderful time. They were just the most fabulous host, and they told me how to navigate the whole thing, because this was my first time to travel solo outside the U.S. Wow. <clears throat> and so... And that came, guy, all of that hit to do that came on the, in the, the day after the end of the Myron calendar. So, into, yeah. wow. And so you, so there you were talking about Ecuador. So there's a whole bunch of things coming together. And you said, yes, right? you went down there and, and you actually took a trip by yourself. Were you by yourself for a couple of weeks in Ecuador? And then, I mean, you yeah. went and stayed with it. Well, yeah, I, I, went, I went and stayed with them. Great. Um, <clears throat> but then I knew if I'm going to make a move like this, I've got to be really sure I can do it. So in 2013, wait a minute, the time. No, I went to see them in 2013. In 2014, I came to Ecuador for a nine-week tour, so I could just go everywhere. I could explore, see what I liked, what I didn't like, see how I could get along on my own, and <clears throat> it was miraculous. After half of the tour, I knew I was moving. The Ecuadorians that I met were so open-hearted and so supportive. I felt so nurtured and taken care of. I didn't have any, I mean, I was riding the buses. And I had, at that point, I had nominal Spanish. I had Spanish mm -hmm. in high school, but I didn't speak it really well. I could stumble through. So I did a two-week Spanish immersion in a little beach town called Alone. And that was where... I encountered these, I mean, I was living with an Ecuadorian family who didn't speak English, 
And I was having classes every day. And then I would have the rest of the day to sit on the beach or take a nap or write or go horseback riding, whatever I felt like doing. And I just met so many lovely people, and they were so helpful. The expat community, and I don't know about it, I, I would suspect in most places, but I, my experience of it here in Ecuador is that it was really community. It is community. People take care of each other. So, Well, you're going through all of this. Do you have any big doubts? I mean, how do you deal with them? This all sounds so graceful, but do you ever wake in the middle of the night going, I'm crazy. What am I thinking? Or were you, you know what I I mean? I did did the first night after I got here. Yeah. (laughs) What have I done? (laughs) It's got to show up somewhere. I mean, often. Oh, honey. Yeah. um, (laughs) When I have that much confirmation, I just trust it. So confirmation, confirmation came in the the form of what? It came in the form of meeting so many different helpful people. Of course, I mean, just having Iris and Mike uh, guide me through the first visit. And actually, they were here for the beginning of the second one. And then they left and I started traveling around. But um, they had introduced me to some of their friends. Their friends helped me. Um, just noticing how I felt inside. Was I relaxed? Was I nervous? Did I feel threatened? Did I feel like, um, you know, people were going to rip me off? Those were the sorts of things I needed to find out. Yeah. And um, I think that's, I, I honestly think that's a beautiful part of the story because how do we get confirmation? Where do we get it? And I think, um, one of the ways was exactly, in my experience, was very similar coming to New Mexico, but feeling welcomed in and feeling yeah. uh, like what I, who I was and what I was doing was wanted there, yeah. you know, at that time. So I hear a lot of uh, similarities. So I just left out that, these confirmations. And I've seen it here in New Mexico where people will feel like they're mm-hmm. getting thrown out almost like, God, nothing's working for me. <laughs> you know, the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you're getting these confirmations and you've got uh, really receiving and people, there's a kindness, there's a warmth yeah. and you're exploring. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump here. Or if there's anything else you want to say about, I want to jump to where you are now and what's happening. Um, well, just briefly, I'm going to jump yeah. back because there had been that, there was that sense of being kicked out, of being squeezed off the ranch because, um, there were some people that bought that land that were really mean and closed. I mean, Julie, I almost never have trouble making friends with anybody. And I could not get this man to smile. Yeah. So the feeling of being squeezed out is the flip side of the feeling of confirmation. And of course, you know, it's a huge deal. It is a huge deal. There's a loss. There's a loss there. Yeah. Yes, there is. Especially when I loved the place I'd been living for so long, but things had started to go bad on it. The septic wasn't working and the landlords wouldn't fix it. I mean, there were all kinds of ways that I felt squeezed out. At the same time, I could feel the pull bringing me forward. So I was balancing those two energies and the sensations they bring the whole time I was traveling. And then another piece of confirmation that was huge for me because I had a horse and a dog and a cat that I love. Yeah. Within a month of returning from my nine week tour back to Colorado to get rid to, you know, to begin the move, I had homes for all three of my animals and not just homes where, okay, we'll take it. It was like, you mean you're going to let me have pie? You're going to let me have rasa? When are you leaving? <laughs> that sort of thing. <clears throat> so that took that burden off. I mean, that was probably, that was one of the hard things. I mean, it, it was hard. I mean, I had so much stuff. I had so many sacred objects. I had these beautiful animals that I, that shared my life. And I had to, I had to jump off the cliff and I couldn't take anything with me. So were you, do you think you're always were, you had that courage to do that? Do you think your experience going through the dark night gave you even more strength or courage to do that? What was that ability? Well, I think, to, yeah. I think 
I think that is kind of a part of my nature, but I didn't manifest that until I was in my mid-30s. And I had another huge leap when I moved from Texas to California, and that was involved with some other life changes, you know, divorce and children and things like that. And I just, I knew if I didn't do it, Julie, yeah, I was going to die inside. Can we, can we so, get those mark? What a marker! Those places when we know. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that time of thinking, um, if I don't get a life now, I'm not going to. You know those things that we say, yeah. or if we so. We could talk. There's so many incredible things. I want to make sure I get to your writing, and I know you're writing mm-hmm. this whole time. But so you're you're kind of jumping off the cliff. It's not easy, but the you kind of feel squeezed out. You're being called to Ecuador. You move there, mm-hmm. right? You find this really great place to live. That I think is is that the same place you're living in now that you described at the beginning? No, because now I'm, I moved to Vilcabamba in December of 2020. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and, uh huh. And I had been living in Cuenca all that time. I had a beautiful townhouse. I have had a housemate, and Jocelyn and I still love each other. We still talk. but And like she said, when we were falling apart in each other's arms as we were separating, we thought we'd always live together. But she didn't want to leave Cuenca, and I knew, and here's the guidance again, I knew I had to come to Vilcabamba. That my guide said, you're going to find parts of yourself you didn't even know you lost. And it's been true. It's been true. Um, <clears throat> so what was the question? <laughs> well, that, that gets us to Vilcabamba, but what's happening with your writing throughout all this? Do you take major breaks or are you actually... Oh, I forgot to tell you how I got tricked into writing. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> I had all these writer friends and we would get together. So this woman said, Barbara, let's write a book together. And I thought, well, that'd be fun. She said, I'll start, and then you write the next section, and then I'll write some, and then you write some. And I said, well, that sounds like fun. So she wrote three chapters. And this kind of writing is very easy for me. If I get inspired like that, the story just throws itself in my face. And so I wrote, and I would... I would send it to her each day. And this was and fiction. This was story. Th- th- this yeah. is story. This is yeah. science fiction fantasy. And um, and then she got called to the U.S. on a family matter. So she was gone. And she said, listen, I don't have time to write now. You just keep going. But keep sending me your stuff. Um, and she was reading it herself and reading it to her sweetheart. And they were both loving it, which encouraged me a lot because uh, I wasn't sure if I was any good. Again, confirmation. I mean, right. hugely important right there. I want to out that. Thank you to her, right? Yes, <laughs> to them. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And what ended up happening, by the time she got back, I'd written about two-thirds of it, and she came over to my house, and she says, Barbara, I'm giving you the book. And I said, what? Wait, but, but, but. And she says, no. <laughs> she says, you have taken it places that I never would have. Our writing style is so different that it would be jarring for the reader to go back and forth. And I think you should just finish it. So I did. Which that was book? my first book. Which that book? Was yeah. Protectors of the Grid, which is book one yeah. of the Shaman Chronicles. Um, <clears throat> I did a little reworking on the first three chapters when I finished it um, just so that it because she was right um, there there was a difference in style and there's a difference in energy with each writer's style their way of expressing themselves the words they choose how they oh, yeah. sentences all that kind did of did it stuff. change what was it I mean it said it was kind of easy for you to write that I do hear easy what what was that like to find yourself now writing a science fiction fantasy well, it was it was so much fun, and I could feel it growing me, because when I'm writing, even though it's so-called fiction or fantasy, it's not for me. It's real possibilities. And so there's a way in which I'm in 
a semi-meditative state where I'm writing, but I'm hearing things. And what I what happened what began to happen later on with book two was I would get to a point and I say, "What's going to happen now? I have no idea what comes next." And immediately, a, an image would come, a scene, and I would know what was happening in the scene. So I would write that scene, and if I stopped again because I didn't know what was going to happen next, the same thing would happen. This is the pattern of how I write all the time now. Image, image is leading. Yeah. 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 Again, another form of guidance, right? Exactly. Creative guidance, an image coming in or direction or what now. Um, right. I hear so much uh, on the fly or making, I would say making things up as you go, or you could also say really yeah. attuned to what's, yeah. Um, do you, have you ever gotten stopped? So you've been, so you've been writing this because I know if you've published almost four, 20 books, that's, I know you started with the poetry and the memoir, but you've written quite a bit of this fiction mm -hmm. now, science fiction. Yeah. I love the science fiction stuff. I love that. I do too. Yeah. I, that is my favorite. It's the most fun because it grows me more. When the, I, I also get signals that I need to pause. And what, what they quote, quote, tell me what I sense inside is that I'm not yet in a place where I can hear the story that wants to be written. I need to grow. I need to read. I need to explore. I, I need to read other writers because they are going all that is going to help me get clear on the story that's trying to unfold. Book four of the Shaman Chronicles had a gap of almost two years between the midpoint and the finish of it. And in that time, I became somebody different. Somebody that could not only comprehend the concepts I was writing about, but express them clearly and with conviction. So we only have a couple of minutes left here, but grow. I hear it growing you, that the writing is growing you. Yes. And that, that kind of fits in with what you're just saying, that you weren't quite the person you needed to be to do that writing at that time. You took a right. pause. Um, what's your sense of that being grown? <laughs> Love that. It's, <clears throat> well, I'll just throw some things out. It's, yeah. it's how you feel after a soul retrieval. Hmm. It's a sense of, oh, that's a part of me that I didn't even know was there. And man, was it fun to get to know that. It's a sense of expansiveness. Like, you know, you're expanding, you know, um, that you're opening and receiving, and therefore able to give more. Um, it's probably similar to when we first started learning to walk, and then when we got to where we were able to just to run around and play, that sense of accomplishment and I love freedom. That. I love the term being grown and how you're speaking about it. Yeah. And how... I, I, cause I feels like to me, a lot of your yeses are about being grown in a way, um, wanting to move into that next, I think we're I calling think it in, invention. <clears throat> weren't we call, talking it invention? Reinventing. Yeah. Ourselves. Reinventing and ourselves. I, I think you're exactly, I think that's all of it. It's just that these spirituality is a, a form of embracing all parts of yourself and expanding into it. So it's, inherently a growing thing. Creativity does the same thing. Every time you do anything creative and you see what has come from you or through you, you know more about who you are. And it's about connecting with yourself, being aligned with who you came to be in this lifetime and what you can offer in your service to the world actually even bigger than the world, to the multiverse, because we, we never stop being connected to all the dimensions and to source. So everything that we do has a ripple effect that we can't even be aware of. Barbara, where, what now for you, because we're, we're just, last question is, what now for you? Are you very <clears throat> um, still leading ceremonies, still writing, um, taking a pause in one of those two? Where do we... Where are you now? 
I'm still writing. I'm working on a new book. I have about uh, 20 chapters in the new book, in the new science faction book. At the same time, I'm working on a nonfiction book called Resoling Yourself, which is essentially an organized form of offering tools that have worked for me that other people can use when they have the time and the guidance to grow themselves. Um, I have participated in ceremony. Well, even in Cuenca, I was doing a circle for several years, but I still do occasional ceremonies. But more of myself right now is about being mm -hmm. and about holding myself in a place of trust and service in spite of everything that's going on around us um, as a form of contradicting the fear that is the, all, all the low vibration things that keep people trapped um, so I'm con I consciously spend a lot of time in praise and thanksgiving I mean I live in such a beautiful place all I you know I look at it and I drum the sunset and I thank the river that I can stand in it and the path along the river through the bamboo I mean I nature is so huge and being out in nature and appreciating nature is one of the very best ways for anybody to fill themselves up thank you thank you for jumping in I can't wait to read uh, your books are on their way to me um, oh, and thank you. <laughs> uh, much love and enjoy there in Ecuador from New Mexico. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to invite you to check out my Creativity and Spirit Online Retreats. Experience for yourself breakthroughs and support available when you engage your creative self in a safe and playful community. Begin here if you are ready to ignite your own transformational journey in a joyful way. You can also learn more about my one-on-one -on -one coaching offerings on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.